Hello, and welcome to Sound of the Moment. I'm your host, Pat Lever, and this is the bi-weekly show featuring conversations with musicians about jazz, music, and more. New episodes are released every second Monday, and they are available for free on iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, wherever you like to get podcasts. You can also stream the show directly from soundofthemoment.com. And of course, if you subscribe to the show in any of those um, apps, then you will just automatically get the new episodes as soon as I release them. For more information, detailed show notes and links, you can go to the aforementioned soundofthemoment.com. And if you enjoy what you hear and you feel like supporting the show, there's a few ways you can do that. First of all, you can help me spread the word either by simply telling a friend who might be interested in this kind of program or by leaving a favorable review or rating wherever it is that you like to listen to the show. That could be in the iTunes store, for example. And you can also help out via my Patreon campaign. That's patreon.com slash moment, or simply follow the link that's at soundofthemoment.com. You can... Give donations to the show on a monthly basis uh, if you think that this show is valuable to you. Obviously, it's always going to be free, but it's not free for me to run. So uh, if you feel like helping me out with a buck or two every month, even the smallest amount is really helpful to me to cover costs of hosting, web services, equipment, all that kind of stuff. That is patreon.com slash sound of the moment. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at Pat Cleaver and you can look for Sound of the Moment on Facebook. There's a page there. This is episode number 19 for the 2nd of July, 2018. I had the pleasure of talking to clarinetist Jorgis Hulofs about his work and the duo record that he just released with drummer and legend of Dutch jazz and improvised music, Han Benink. The record is entitled Icarus, and you're about to hear a piece called Guidi. Thank you. 
Joris Rulofs is my guest today on the show. Uh, Joris, thanks for being here. Thank you, Brad. Um, yeah, I always like to ask my guests to introduce themselves a bit up top, um, tell folks a bit about your background, who you are and what you do and stuff. Yeah, my uh, as, so as you said, my name is Joris Rolofs and I uh, play uh, clarinet, bass clarinet, uh, bass clarinet and clarinet, and um, those are my main instruments now and so I'm a musician, composer, and uh, I teach at the at the Conservatory of Amsterdam. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, yeah, you you say like now you introduce yourself as a uh, clarinetist, which I would probably have said saxophonist, clarinetist, but I guess now you've uh, sort of officially transitioned somehow. Is that um, is that something that you've kind of decided, or do, I mean, I guess you still do a bunch of saxophone stuff. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I think, uh, yeah, I did decide on that. And uh, especially solistically, like, you know, um, I, I feel like I now I can sort of more easily express myself um, <clears throat> when uh, playing the clarinet rather than a saxophone. So, but um, I still play saxophone in uh, like ensemble settings. So, yeah. So, I, yeah. Yeah. But so, what is it about the clarinet that is. Um, that speaks to you more than the saxophone. I mean, I guess you were an alto saxophone player as a uh, as a kid and I, stuff. And yeah, I actually started out on uh, B flat clarinet, though. Okay. Yeah, as a kid. So, in a way, um, that has always been part of my uh, you know my musical you know uh, uh, background uh, roots. Yeah. So um, then later on, I uh, started. Um, uh, playing the alto saxophone, and I sort of fell in love with that. Um, I was about twelve years old, and, and but then um, uh, after that, like maybe eight years ago, I discovered the bass clarinet, and um, I kind of switched to that one again. So I sort of have been, um, you know, have been uh, have been having like several uh, musical love affairs, so to say. You know, yeah. You know. But so is there like, I don't know, uh, maybe it's a stupid question, but is there something specific about the quality of the clarinet that you um, relate to in that sense? And I guess the bass clarinet specifically. Right, yeah. Like, um, yes, um, it's a different sound. It's uh, wood. You know, yeah, so it sounds different than saxophone. <laughs> it's as simple as that, I would say. And therefore the sound is different. And um, And... So on the one hand, it has this sort of yeah, this almost like soothing sound, you know, soothing mm-hmm. quality, like sound-wise. Uh, but um, on the other hand, it, it you know you can still um, you can also really play loud, you know, and play chaotically and uh, uh, very expressively. And what's the other one? vehemently okay. yeah you know yeah there's something really i feel like there's something really human about that it's it's like yeah. i guess the way yeah. people often say that the cello sounds like the human voice yeah i feel like the bass clarinet is one of those instruments that really has the qualities of you know it can whisper and it can scream and it has all of that 
in there somehow. Yeah, exactly. And no, I do agree with the cello thing, though. I think the the cello that you know, if played well, yeah, uh, obviously. Cause, um, although even if you don't play a cello that well, it already sounds like pretty human. I think so. I think the cello is actually my favorite instrument. Maybe you know. Oh wow! You know, okay. together, maybe alongside you know also <laughs> bass clarinet, but both bass clarinet and and cello are. I, th- I think. Um, and uh, yeah, I think the bass clarinet has that quality too, that human quality. And uh, you know, humans differ, of course, but um, the um, most humans, I would say, uh, do have this this duality, or you know, all these different sides in them, and, and the, all those different character traits and uh, emotions. And that I think the bass clarinet is quite, you know. It's it's it's, uh, it's, uh, it's able to uh, express and to convey as well. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, you say in passing now. It's funny that we just landed on that. That the cello might be your favorite instrument. Is that something that you have you worked with cellists a lot? Like, is there anything you can point to that? Um... I just listen to a lot of you know lots lots of music and lots of classical music uh, and um, lots of you know lots of uh, cello music as well. So you know. Um, Cello sonatas and uh, cello concertos, mm-hmm. and also I'm, I'm writing music for. I have been writing music for cello uh, for a while, and I'm still finishing up that piece <laughs> now. Okay. Hopefully, it'll be finished soon. But um, yeah, so so I've been um, engaged. Yeah. And so you now you 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 speak about like listening to a lot of classical music and stuff. Is that like has that been as far as I understood? You were quite like deeply into jazz as a young guy um has classical music always been there as well on the side i mean i guess yeah um the clarinet repertoire is probably more interesting than the saxophone repertoire in a lot of cases maybe i'm saying something really terrible but um <laughs> no you're not no i, I th- i'm afraid i agree um yeah, no, I, I started out on, uh, like I said, on clarinet, B-flat clarinet and uh, classically. So mm-hmm. I was just playing classical music. Um, and then uh, it all, also, my parents, you know, they just listened to classical music all, all the time. So it, they were listening to uh, Monteverdi and Monteverdi and uh, St. Matthew Passion, you know, only on, oh, yeah. only during Easter. Yeah, yeah so, okay. <laughs> uh, But uh, during Easter, it would be like on for like... 14, how many days is that? Uh, yeah. Well, uh, whatever that is. <laughs> exactly. yeah. Like, you know, a couple of weeks before Easter starts or two weeks before Easter, uh, you know, when that starts. And it will be, it will be on, like, nonstop. St. Matthew Passion. And I would, I, you know, I loved it. So yeah. it, it has always been part of my up, you know, up, yeah. upbringing. So. But is that still something, like, do you actively pursue even actually performing classical music? Or is it just yeah. something that you draw inspiration from? Yeah, yeah. Um, performing, yes. I, I also like to perform classical music. I'm, I'm not sure if I'm really qu- qualified for it. Um, here and there I do some chamber music things and I really enjoy doing it. Um, so, let me see. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I, I would like to play more uh, classical music um, as far as that's possible, you know, for me. Yeah. Um, but uh, mostly it's, yes, mostly it's inspiration. Mm-hmm. I would say, and uh, inspiration for for both improvisation and composition. I think, yeah, and those are intertwined, of course. But um, mm-hmm. I would say, uh, I would say it's mostly inspiration, and uh, for my own compositions, um, 
And then I teach this class at the school, at the conservatory, uh, this ensemble where we um, actually... Um, we look at some like some some pieces or even excerpts from the classical repertoire, mm-hmm. and then try, try to play it ourselves like within a sort of a more standard setting with drums and bass okay. and stuff, which is quite a challenge. Yeah, and sometimes it totally doesn't work. Sometimes it does, you know. Yeah. But that's part of the the process then. Yeah. But so what specifically, what kind of repertoire are you talking Like, is it, because I guess a lot of people have done that with Bach and Mozart and stuff. Yeah. And then there's people that have done Stravinsky and there's like Mission is yeah. kind of a favorite nowadays. Yeah. I think. Like, uh, yeah. I guess those are the... Those, uh, yeah, for that ensemble, uh, we picked Messian indeed, and uh, but also a Beethoven piece and mm. Wagner, uh, Schumann. <clears throat> um, yeah, especially Wagner, I've been... Uh, I've been very um, engaged okay. with uh, lately, or for past couple of years, I guess, because um, his music is so, especially harmonically, so interesting, you know, yeah. uh, and um, very, um, very elaborate. And um, so, uh, I've been very interested in Wagner in his music and uh, his personality as well, and yeah. uh, his relationship to uh, Friedrich Nietzsche, who is yeah. one of my favorite philosophers. And yeah. that's another thing I, I, I spend a lot of time. Yeah, on. I was going to say, maybe we should discuss that as well. Um, you, So you actually formally study philosophy? Is that something that's still ongoing or if you... Uh, yeah, um, at the moment I'm not. I have um, been taking courses at the university, um, and uh, but currently I'm not taking classes, so mm-hmm. I'm not... Um, I'm not in class at the moment, but um, I still study, you know. Yeah. I, it's just a life, you know, sort of a <laughs> uh, infinite uh, mission, you know. So I, I, I do uh, read a lot still. And uh, I have, a couple of years back, I sort of decided to concentrate mostly on uh, Nietzsche okay. as a philosophy. What is it about Nietzsche? I mean, I guess there's a whole, the idea of freedom. I mean, I... yeah. Um, what is it about Nietzsche? Um, that <laughs> could take us a question. couple of weeks. Um, yeah, of course. <laughs> but in short, in short, I think that with what, what's interesting with Nietzsche is that his philosophy is inextricably intertwined with his own personality, his mm-hmm. own life, you know. Um, and his own life is very interesting as well, and uh, kind of sad as yeah, well in some respects. Tragic. Yeah. Tragic, yeah. And he uh, actually wanted to become a musician. He played the piano a lot. He loved playing the piano. And mm. uh, and he even felt that he couldn't express himself in words in this, the same way that he maybe could have if he would have been a musician. Yeah. You know? um, so th- I think that's an interesting very interesting thing about Nietzsche and uh, very appealing to musicians as well. And then, of course, his personal rela- relationship to uh, Richard Wagner. Yeah. Uh, that, it's highly interesting, I think, Wagner and Nietzsche, and they, you know, they uh, they were friends and enemies. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. No, definitely. I feel like there's always those complex <laughs> um, relationships somehow, especially with those kinds of characters that are both, like, heroes and villains in a way. Like, this. Yeah. Um, but so you, yeah. um, I saw something on your upcoming events that you're giving talks and stuff. Like, is it, 
you actually discuss Nietzsche and music and that kind of thing? Like you? Yeah, yeah. Um, I did this thing called Nietzsche's Muses, mm-hmm. and um, <clears throat> it's about Nietzsche's uh, relationship to um, to music and uh, sort of um, how his philosophy relates to music as well, and uh, music and dance. Actually, he, he, he mm-hmm. was very. Uh, um, he wrote extensively about. Um, Dance as well. Yeah. It's very interesting, um, and so that's the, that was the idea over there. And then um, uh, specifically improvisation. So uh, what what would improvisation mean for Nietzsche? Nietzsche himself actually reputedly uh, improvised mm-hmm. at the piano, even okay. even later on when he actually, especially later on when he, uh, yeah, when he went went insane, yeah. know, when he went crazy. Anyway. Um, so, so that's what that talk is about, and I sort of, I tried to, I, I play his. He, he wrote mm-hmm. music, Nietzsche. He yeah. wrote music himself. So, uh, we talk about those compositions, and then Richard Wagner's music, and mm-hmm. the way that Nietzsche wrote about Wagner, all that stuff. And um, yeah, so I, I did a couple, couple of talks like that. I will do another one soon. Um, and starting next year, I'll be doing um, I'll be giving a master elective at the conservatory. Okay, called Freedom and Improvisation, mm-hmm. <clears throat> uh, where I get the chance to also you know um, connect philosophy to music to actually to uh, improvisation. Yeah, in this case. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense somehow. I mean, it. it I feel like it's something that's. It's great that you're going to get the chance to actually bring that into a conservatory education because it's something that's very undervalued. I think, like the, especially dealing with like improvisation, like it's like not considering the deeper implications of that feels like a waste. Yeah, um, and something that's often lost on a lot of people. Yeah. Um, am I right that um, so you you received the uh, composition uh, assignment last year for the North Sea Jazz? Uh, Is that two right? years ago. Uh, two, I think, two thousand and sixteen. Yeah, yeah. But am I right? That was also somehow related with. Uh... Yeah, um, yeah. That actually, well, what happened was they give you an assignment, mm-hmm. the North Sea Jazz Festival, and basically they um, they give you a bunch of money and then tell you to, to just Make <laughs> go and write something yeah. <laughs> with, with like seventy, you know, seventy five, seventy minutes, which is a, mm-hmm. a lot, a lot, a lot. You know. Yeah. Um. So. Uh, it's it's great because you know, you're free to do whatever you want. Or the other, but at, <laughs> at the same time, it's it's uh, it's awful because because you can do whatever you want. So yeah. there's so there's there's too many uh, too many possibilities there. So I decided to just uh, narrow it down to something that I really uh, that I re- something that I really care for and really really care about and uh, mm-hmm. uh, uh, spend a lot of time uh, on, and that's philosophy, and then. Specifically Nietzsche, and then specifically the notion of the rope dancer, uh, rope dancer in uh, uh, Das Spoke Zarathustra. Yeah. So I wrote this whole suite uh, based on that one theme of the mm-hmm. rope dancer. Yeah. Yeah. That's how that happened. Okay. Cool. Um, yeah. I mean, there's obviously there's a, a million things we can talk about, but maybe we should specifically um, speak about the new record that. Well, will have just come out when when this episode releases, but it's about to come out as we're speaking, um, which is a duo with um, the great Dutch drummer Han Bedding. Um, can you maybe, um, yeah? How how did that begin? Like, how did you guys get to 
like this cross generational um, thing. I'm, I'm interested in how that began and what uh, yeah, yeah what the experience has been like. Uh, what happened was that I uh, I was asked to do a Eric Dolphy tribute. Okay. Eric Dolphy, the great bass clarinetist. Yeah. Um, sort of the pioneer. Well, you know, the yeah. pioneer. One of the say. names that comes to mind immediately when you speak about <laughs> yeah. bass um, clarinet. And what happened was, yeah, so I was asked to do a tribute because um, they were showing this documentary about Eric Dolphy. And, mm-hmm. uh, and um, they asked me with, you know, Basically, they gave me a carte blanche, so um, uh, I decided to ask um, Han Benning mm-hmm. on drums because I knew that Han uh, played on that famous record called yeah. The Last Date yeah. by Eric Dolphy, which actually wasn't The Last Date, but yeah. it was one of, the, one of the last dates before Eric Dolphy sadly passed away. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Han, uh, at first, <laughs> um, apparently, you know, because he didn't really know me, um, wasn't sure, uh, <laughs> and then I sent him some music or something, and then he said, "Okay, it's fine. Let's do a rehearsal." Uh, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So he seemed a bit uh, not skeptical, but you know, just you know, he just didn't know. You know, fair yeah. enough. You know. So, so then we rehearsed, and then he was really happy, and I received <laughs> an email by his manager that he uh, loved. Uh, Playing with me, I was very happy about that. Yeah. Uh, so we did that tribute uh, along with um, uh, uh, Frank van Bommel, the pianist, mm. and um, Matt Penman on bass. Yeah, uh, yeah and so on. And, uh, but later on, uh, I was asked to do something at the Clarinet Festival, um, and I asked Han to do a duet with me, a duo. That was mm-hmm. at the BIM House Lake maybe a couple of years back. And uh, yeah, we both really enjoyed that. And uh, ever since we've been yeah. playing. But so why why the duo format? Like it seems, I mean, you you have previously had this longstanding uh, trio with, with Matt Penn and Ted Poole. I guess you guys still play together and stuff. Yeah. But um, um, so I guess the harmonyless thing was already somewhat covered there. But yeah. like going from that to completely naked, and even more so yeah. because Han literally just comes with a snare drum and a couple of things. Um, surely that's the... Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm interested in what, yeah. why uh, why that format. Yeah, actually, um, when we play duo, Han usually has his own, his own, like okay. a full kit. Right. Yeah, so that's... <laughs> yeah, I had <laughs> that, that on the record. Yeah. yeah, like on the record, yeah. yeah. Um, so, but why this format? I, I was very interested in... Um, in uh, in freedom, you know, and mm-hmm. what it mean, what that means, you know, and how how you can put it in to practice, you know. Yeah. Um, so, I guess what we are doing is just um, exercising freedom in a way and um, playing, you know, playing with that. Um, and so I was I was interested in having less, you know, ha- having fewer things to rely on. And you know, like a bass player or a drummer, and pian- uh, like a piano player. Mm. Um, but but rather than that, just in a way dealing with the vacuum and with space, and you know, um, with silence. Um, that was something that I thought I could basically basically also get better at, and mm-hmm. uh, 
best way to get better at it is by actually doing it. So yeah. I think that there was something that was very appealing to me, you know, uh, to just uh, get better at playing, you know, improvising and playing free in a way. Yeah, because was was free improv always somewhat part of your uh, background? I mean, I I'm, I feel like compared to some of the things that I've heard you do in the past, this feels like not necessarily a departure, but like a new direction somehow. Um, is that a is that a fair statement? Yeah, it is. Um, I used to let me see from uh, yeah after I well actually still uh, during my uh, conservatory <coughs> years. Um, I was mostly just into, let me see, Parker and, you know, Sonny Stitt, Sonny Rollins, and, I, you know, uh, Johnny Hodges. And that I, I was just checking out those guys, mm -hmm. you know, like almost like excessively. Yeah. Uh, and I'm happy about that now that I did it back at the time. But, uh, yeah. Yeah, I think I, I wasn't as open to the uh, freer stuff back then uh, than uh, you know compared to um, as I am you know now. Um, so yeah, it's true that later on I sort of um, I was more open to other styles of playing, and but still I I think I'm I'm trying to still find a way to uh, combine that mm -hmm. like. Those like uh, you know traditional like what's it called like the roots of yeah. whatever you know and um, combine that with a certain like a like a freer more open approach yeah um, and that way sort of trying to find a path to really making music you know um, yeah and I feel like that really comes across um, in this duo somehow and it also I feel like that relates a lot to like the aesthetic of like some of the the best Dutch improv uh, music that has come out of this scene, like the fact that there is definitely a certain amount of like roots in the tradition, like the new Dutch swing thing and stuff. And at the same time, uh, like obviously Michel Mengelberg and Han yeah. and like Willem Broeke are like figures that really made something new. Yeah. Um, like it's interesting to me like the, it sounds like you're somewhat relating more to that now than you maybe were. Um, or at least, like, there's a certain Dutch tradition, I feel, that that is, there's a lot of humor in it, and there's a lot of, like, not taking yourself seriously, and at the same time making some very serious music. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, I don't know if, if that's something you can speak on a bit, or... Yeah, uh, for sure. Um how to put this? I think I I think those scenes, like the free, you know, so-called free scene mm. and or improvised scene and the uh, and the more traditional or mainstream um, scene. I think the more and more they sort of converging in a way. Yeah. Um, however, those are different things still, and those are different scenes. I I don't think we should pretend as if everything you know. No, of course. <laughs> happy, you know, happy like everyone is happy. You know, but I, I I do I do think there's more appreciation for uh, for each other these days. Um, but yeah, no, it's like you you mentioned humor. I think that's something. Yeah, like taking yourself uh, lightly in a way, you mm. know, but taking music seriously. I think that's certainly uh, part of that. Another another. Difference, I think, is that um, people like um, like people like I would say, let's say, like you know, Abars and mm -hmm. the, I, the ICP Orchestra, yeah. uh, Abars, Tobias, 
Dailies, ja. uh, Michael Moore en dat um, um, that, that scene I think has more let me put it this way, they, they have a lot of uh, affinity to classical and modern classical music as well, mm-hmm. so it's sort of intertwined yeah. with the, so it, it's something, it's remarkable because yeah, it's, a, it's something that I uh, really respect a lot and um, I think could be um, helpful, you know, in uh, in order to um, make progress in, you know, musically. So, um, yeah. No, that that's that's true, and um, yeah, I'm interested. I mean, there's um, this is maybe it's like a slight divergence, but um, you lived in New York for a while. Yeah, um, is like. When you were there, was was the this idea of like a Dutch identity in music in this sense already something that you were aware of, or is it something that you somewhat discovered when you were there, or like because yeah. it, it feels like there's something very Dutch about this thing, which um, until you leave Holland, you maybe don't necessarily realize that much, right? Yeah, actually, when I was in New York, I, I, I went to New York. Couple times I lived there uh, for a few years, but before that I was visiting. So mm-hmm. I was there in uh, 2005 or something. Uh, but back, back, you know, back in the day, in, in 2005, I was just I wasn't into that. I was I don't think I was as open, like I said earlier, mm-hmm. as as I was now. Uh, however, I ran into uh, Misha Mengelberg. Oh yeah, the, <laughs> in Brooklyn. Okay, and uh, he didn't seem surprised. Um, <laughs> To run into uh, some Dutch, uh, you know, young yeah. Dutch uh, musician, <laughs> um, and it was sort of a reality check, you know, because they were performing in New York and with the ICP Orchestra, and uh, he asked me if I was going to come to the concert, and uh, I didn't. <laughs> okay. I didn't come, and, and and now when I think about it, it's so it's so strange because I totally would have come in hindsight, you know, yeah. if I would have known. But for some reason, I, I wasn't. I just wasn't. It wasn't my my radar it wouldn't uh, I wasn't open for it yet I just uh, needed some time maybe and um, I do I do regret especially with Michel Mengelberg who sadly passed away um, last year or no even like maybe a couple months back yeah Yeah. almost a year ago maybe that I never I never really spent time with him yeah or never really took lessons or something Mm -hmm. and I totally I totally could have yeah yeah. Um, yeah. Maybe to, to speak specifically about the record, um, the, the, I, I do have a few things I want to talk about. Uh, the first of all, the choice of repertoire. Um, I mean, what what I received uh, from you was just a bunch of tracks, so I, I don't necessarily know what the composers are and everything, but I do recognize a few things um, from like specifically Dolphy, but there's also some some court vile stuff. Um, uh, is yeah, maybe. You, so, how did you choose that repertoire? How much of it is just improvised? What was the the dialogue, I suppose, with Han about that? Um, yeah, uh, we didn't talk about the repertoire that much. Um, <clears throat> a little bit, though, um, and I, I I didn't think about it um, beforehand. So mm-hmm. I basically I just prepared a couple things, and uh, the only thing I knew was that Han wanted to play the clarinet. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which he ended up doing. I'm very yeah. happy about it. <laughs> and for that, he did mention, I, I did want to ask him, you know, what um, what songs, what pieces he wanted to do on a clarinet so that yeah. I could, so that I'd be prepared. You yeah. Know? Yeah. So 
that that stuff that's something that we did sort of set in set, set in stone uh, that mm-hmm. we decided on. Um, but then we just did a bunch of improvisations as well, um, and those were just you know just in the moment. Like some of them, you know, in improvised music, if it's really improvised, like there's gonna be a lot of. Uh, I think that, that there's the, the the differences between good versions and bad versions are 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 the difference is bigger. You yeah. Know? So it's it, you need some luck and some you know just some uh, mm-hmm. yeah some divine inspiration whatever you know. Yeah. Um, so we did that. So basically, we left a couple things. Uh, we just left it open. We just left it open uh, and uh, just kept it open and. Um, other things, the Kurt Wow piece, I uh, I did prepare that, and um, the Dolphy, yeah, the Dolphy uh, ballad. We both thought it would be cool to do a Dolphy, at least one Dolphy thing there. Yeah, you know. And then a couple other things uh, were actually um, based on on the classical repertoire as well. Mm-hmm. So I, <clears throat> I would have these arias from Carmen. Yeah, and. Um, I prepared this Wagner piece and a couple of Mahler excerpts. Yeah. So that way I would at least have something uh, within this total freedom. I would mm. at least have such something sort of to hold on to, you know, some kind of frame, you know, yeah. point of reference. Yeah. And I was interested in a combination of having a point of reference, you know, like... Uh, yeah. And total, total freedom. In a way. But is that also a good way to make sure that the pieces are going to be somewhat differentiated from each other in that in that sense. I always feel like having some kind of a starting point is helpful to define, okay, well, this is piece A, B, C, D, um, somehow. I don't know, I mean... Yeah, for sure, yeah, true. Yeah, that way uh, it's easier to d- differentiate, yeah. Um, for instance, I think we have two Rondo versions in that. <clears throat> That's just improvised. However, mm-hmm. it's a certain form that I briefly explained yeah. to Han before mm-hmm. before we recorded it, and um, and that form, like a classical form, A B A C A D A, yeah. um, <clears throat> uh, sort of gives you a um, sort of is functions as a tool, you know, something to hold on to in a way, mm. and uh, give it give give it coherence in a way. Yeah, um, and so what. What did the recording session actually look like? Like, where did you guys do it? How did it? Because like certain things sound, um, specifically the opening track of the record sounds like you're recording at the back of the room, and there's some like I don't know if that was literally what happened or how spontaneous the whole thing was. But like, how how much time did you guys have? Where did where did you do it? Yeah, <clears throat> I recorded at the studio Kytopia in Utrecht, mm-hmm. and uh, it's uh, a rather large. Pretty big room, yeah, yeah. and uh, very spacious, <clears throat> and it has these balconies. Yeah, like, you know, mm-hmm. they, they have these ba- balconies. Um, that's part of the room, so <clears throat> we just we decided to use that space. And <laughs> so I, I kind of walked around a little bit, and that was Han's idea actually. Um, and I was just walking around a little bit, and Han would play the this piano downstairs, and yeah. play the clarinet, and then we would sort of. Um, Walk both walk towards the actual mics, mm-hmm. and then sort of you get this idea of uh, what's the word um, uh, convergence. Yeah, I guess. convergence. Yeah, convergence. Yeah. So we both like from chaos, sort of kind of from chaos into yeah. into order and form, you know. And then I would play that. 
Aria, that yeah. Carmen Aria. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Aria, yeah. That was the idea. Yeah, so yeah, we played with that. Cool. But Those so, possibilities. Was it, was it all recorded in one day? Did you do you have several sessions? Or? Yeah, we did two days. Okay. Uh, and we recorded it um, with a tape machine. Yeah, I saw recorded. I saw pictures of that. That's quite cool. It was very um, cool. Yeah, I've done that once before. I found yeah. it really kind of terrifying. Yeah, um, it is. It's especially. I mean, I yeah. guess it, uh, for free improvising, maybe it would be less. You know, but playing super tight complicated yeah. stuff it just becomes impossible to yeah. and the end result is is great because you get a f- very different quality of sound but yeah. uh, it's interesting to go I mean I guess for Han that must be kind of like something that he's super familiar with but yeah um, the idea of not being able to go back and, and change anything and not be able to like yeah, yeah. well that's something uh, very appealing especially uh, you know appealing to Han especially mm-hmm. you know he just he doesn't like you know what I love about him too is just he he just wants to make music and kind of wants to get it get it over with but in a good way <laughs> you know let's just yeah. do it you know not too much nonsense and too much you know yeah. spend too much time on it <laughs> yeah and I tend to be sort of the other way around here and there but so I I learn a lot from him there you know <laughs> and yeah. uh, just letting go in a way that stuff and uh, you know so that uh, recording on tape. Um, I think is uh, you know, and therefore I think it's something that was good for me and was something that he he really likes as well. Yeah, but so what? I mean, um, what does it look like to record with Hamming? Does he like? Do you show up and just do it? It sounds like that's kind of what happens. Like how? I guess there's not necessarily much talking beforehand. Um. No, not at all. Uh, not at all. Um, or barely. Let's say barely. Um, hmm. Uh, he's very professional, yeah. you know. He's uh, very, and he's very professional. That he's he's always on time. In fact, he always he always wants to be you know get it get there early. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and um, and also um, he's just he he just he's seventy two now. Is that right? I guess. So. Yeah, yeah. and um, he's getting older, and uh, but he but he he he. he he has been doing. He did so much uh, studio work, commercial studio work. You know, yeah. back, back in the day too. He's totally used to that. Yeah. Know? So uh, sometimes you forget, but then I noticed that when uh, there was a moment where he had his sticks, and then uh, it 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 almost went wrong. Like he almost hit the hit one of the mics, you know, overhead mics with yeah. the stick. But no, it it didn't go wrong because he knew exactly. Yeah. You know, he knew the, the exact uh, the the exact dimensions of. of you know. That's fascinating. I mean, it's really not what I would expect from, like the certainly the onstage persona that he has. Like the the thought of yeah. Han Benning doing commercial recordings is is hilarious and strange. <laughs> um, but also the whole like not to say that he doesn't seem professional because obviously he does. But he has this really kind of childlike presence. Yeah. Um, and so that, in combination with a very serious ethic, is kind of interesting. And I suppose that speaks maybe of that whole like Dutch um, aesthetic somehow of combining very serious with a very funny kind of humorous stuff. Um, yeah, um, that's that's right. Um, it's tempting to conflate his sort of childlike, in a good way, childlike um, musical yeah, behavior. Definitely. Um, to conflate it with just being a chaotic person or just you know or or a uh 
like over lenient person, like you know, yeah. he doesn't 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 care or something. Uh, it's tempting to conflate those things, uh, and with him, it's interesting that it's that that's not the case at all. You know, he's very. He can also very much. He loves certain things. He loves them, but if he doesn't like you, or if he doesn't like. Uh, the way that something goes, he, you know, he, he'll let you know. Yeah, <laughs> he'll okay. tell you. And, uh, yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, and uh, I really admire that. Um, yeah, one time we did a, um, one time we did a uh, kind of a jam session somewhere, and um, not, no, we we were doing a duo concert, and then afterwards there was going to be a jam session, mm. um, and what happened was. Right, some of the there were some local musicians that they they played with us, um, and it was funny because I think they expected to play total like improv and free jazz, um, and so the singer started to sort of improvise in a certain way, which mm -hmm. which actually was pretty cool. But mm. nobody was expecting that in a way. It was funny. The, you could just tell you could just tell that they expected a certain kind of chaotic improvisation. Yeah. Whereas Han was just ready to <laughs> play a certain <laughs> tempo. You know, it was it was very yeah. funny. Um, yeah. both sides were funny and you know I think it was a it was interesting what happened. Yeah. But so um yeah, maybe this is a super obvious question, but like, um, are there any specific things that you feel like you can point to that you have learned from working with him? I mean, it really feels like it must be a mine of like information and and um, and tradition and like inspiration and stuff there. Like, is is there anything specific you can point to that you feel like you have learned from this? Yeah, I um, I think most importantly is the. I think I, I think I by playing with Han, I think I uh, very much improve my improvisation skills and uh, you know shaping the music. So kind of shaping, think almost like thinking about how the music would sound whilst playing, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, so in a way, like uh, that instant composing thing, what, what, yeah. what that's called, you know. Um, I think that's what I'm, I'm I'm learning at the moment. Yeah, and uh, by playing. By playing with on, yeah. And so, what have the live, like the live performance opportunities, been um, for this project? Like, have you guys played a lot? Are you gonna play a lot? Is it what I kind of so. spaces? Um, do yeah, because it feels like this could perform pretty much anywhere, and maybe even should perform anywhere. Um, obviously, you guys are gonna play in the BIM house and stuff, and that makes sense that you would be there. But at yeah. the same time, I mean, I saw footage from you guys performing in, in an art gallery surrounded by Hans work. Yeah, um, and that also makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So, um, I'm hoping to play a lot in this setting, and um, um, yeah, we're just gonna see what happens in a way. Um, and um, we're playing at the Concertgebouw, mm -hmm. totally different setting, I guess. Yeah, uh, August seventeenth. Yeah, okay. and then at the Bimars, June at twenty ninth, and then at the uh, Rode Bioscope. Yeah, in October. Mm -hmm. So different different settings, and uh, but yeah, I. I yeah, it would be cool to do some more playing next year, and um, hopefully, maybe you know, find an uh, agent or a booker yeah. who does that for us. That would be nice. <laughs> yeah, because <of course>. yeah. <laughs> I think it's uh, relatively it's it's relatively easy to it's quite flexible, just two yeah. persons, and um, yeah, yeah. And it seems like a great story uh -huh. and a great product. Like 
it wouldn't make no sense to me that this thing should not take off more somehow. <laughs> Thank um, you. Yeah. Um, so maybe as we're winding down, um, is there any um, is there any more stuff that you want to mention? Stuff that you're doing as a sideman? Stuff that you're like co-doing? I know there's a bunch of things like uh, you play in Chamber Tones is a project that you're involved with. Um, obviously, I yep. mentioned your trio. Um, I don't know if there's anything we can look forward to that you'd like to mention. Yeah, I'm doing something with my uh, trio with uh, Matt Pemman and Ted Poor in uh, October mm-hmm. uh, in uh, Switzerland and in Germany to concerts. Yeah, okay. uh, October 25th, 26th. Yeah. <clears throat> and then I'm, uh, well, yeah, over the summer, I'm, I'm just probably going to uh, spend a lot of time preparing this uh, Master elective, this course yeah. for, uh, in September. Yeah, uh, really looking forward to that. Um, yeah, maybe that's something like how. What has that yeah. been like? Like um, going from studying there to now being a teacher at the conservatory in Amsterdam, and like how how does that um, like what? Yeah, how does that feel? I suppose, and what is the? Um, it sounds to me like you are bringing in a very new energy to to the school, which which. It's slowly coming in from various people, but um, I don't know what your viewpoint is on that. Yeah, I think until so far uh, it's been great because I, I um, I'm, yeah, of course I'm hoping to bring in this uh, new uh, energy. And uh, also um, what happened was that we created this whole new uh, principal subject, mm-hmm. which is clarinet and bass clarinet for the uh, jazz department. Yeah. So that way kind of, you know, attracts... Uh, sort of try to, uh, what's the word, recruit (laughs) (laughs) Uh, uh, clarinet and bass clarinet students. And that's been a a, a challenge, but it's, uh, it's been, uh, it's been, it's been uh, pretty cool. It's getting better. And so that's one thing. Um, So I, you know, I feel like I uh, been given the chance to sort of do what I'm, what I think I'm best at, you know, and uh, that's, that's cool. And now with this new um, subject, this master elective, uh, that's another chance to for me to uh, engage in something that I um, uh, have a lot of affinity with, <clears throat> um, and uh, also uh, hopefully to inspire students to have kind of maybe a similar a similar affinity or you know um, yeah yeah. And so what like um, is the is the goal to find uh, students that are like originally primarily clarinet players or is it trying to convince saxophone players that the clarinet is worth a shot or is it like uh, a combination of the two? Are you also teaching the saxophone players to, um, or is it just purely you're a clarinet player and this is what we do? Um, yeah, uh, good question. Um, I think it's both. I think it's both still. And um, But what happens now, it, what, what's been happening is that we, uh, we, we had a couple of applicants and... Um, some of them are, a lot of them actually are mostly classically trained. Okay. Because, yeah, you know, a lot of clarinetists are, like, most of them are classically trained. Uh, yeah. Maybe also because they're, so it's sort of a chicken and egg. Uh, yeah, thing yeah, there. yeah. You know, because there wasn't a, a jazz uh, department for, yeah. for clarinet, like a jazz yeah, clarinet yeah. department. So what's happening is that maybe here and there, um, the, yeah, uh, I, I probably end up having students that are m- mostly class- classically trained and that I kind of sort of have to um, teach how to play jazz, which is yeah. a challenge, but 
I'm I, th- I think there's I, th- I think a lot is possible there, you know. So yeah, and it sounds to me like the 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 end result of a student like that is probably really fascinating um, somehow. Like it, it, yeah, somebody coming to a school and being exposed to things that are new, rather than somebody coming to a school and just further developing what they're already doing. Um, yep. You're not going to have saxophone students that haven't already played jazz to a certain extent, right? Whereas, um, right, right. So that's a difference, but yeah, I think it's an interesting progress uh, uh, process. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Um, and so, yeah, to, to, to kind of end, end the show, I always like to ask my guests uh, if there's something that you want to recommend people check out. And it can be anything. It can be a book, a movie, um, something that you've experienced lately. Uh, it could also be a record, whatever. If there's something that um, comes to mind you would like to recommend. Yeah. Uh, I recently read this short story by Franz Kafka uh, called Inves- Inf- Investigations of a Dog. Okay. Uh, and it's uh, it's very funny and uh, very interesting philosophically and interesting for uh, to for musicians as well because it talks about uh, music mm-hmm. too and um, uh, that's all I'm gonna say just read it it's, uh, it's it will be worth it cool yeah there will be well yeah I'll be linking to that stuff and everything so um, people can check it out and obviously I'll also be linking to all of your stuff website and things so people can. Go and uh, and get this new record, and uh, and hopefully find all your upcoming projects and dates and all that stuff. Um, you always thanks so much for being on the show. Yeah, thanks, thanks, Brad, for the invitation. Stick around to hear more music from Yorgos at the end of this show. As I said, there will be links to his website in the show notes at soundthemoment.com. So if you would like to find his upcoming gigs and events and purchase any of his music, including that new do record with Han Benink, then all you have to do is follow those links. I'd like to thank my fellow members of K-Troop for providing the intro and outro music that you're listening to right now. The show has a Patreon page that is open for donations. So um, if you would like to support this show and you enjoy what I'm doing, you can do that with your hard-earned cash um, on a monthly basis via patreon.com slash moment. And that can be any amount is incredibly appreciated. It can be one buck, whatever you can spare or think this is worth to you. Um, I would be very grateful. If you have any feedback or questions, comments and stuff, uh, I can be found at Pat Cleaver on Twitter. There is also the Sound of the Moment page on Facebook you could contact me through. And of course, you can email me at pat at soundofthemoment.com. Please subscribe to the show in iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean. Uh, leave a favorable review or rating wherever it is that you decide to do that. And tell any friends you may have that um, this show might be worth their time if you think you know somebody who will be interested in this program. Okay, let's end this show now with some more music from Jules Hulofs and Han Benink. This piece is called Gustav II. Thank you so much for listening. I'll be back in two weeks with another episode of Sound of the Moment. Mm-hmm.
Mm-hmm.